Green and White Noise is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. You know, ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. You know, MSU has its last football game coming up this weekend. It's Maryland. Basketball is underway. The Duke game is coming up, and Game Time is the place you want to go to get those tickets, to get in the door at the lowest price possible and the best seats possible. And it's not just sports. It's also music, theater tickets. Uh, you know, I like basketball. We all like basketball. But I love Taylor Swift. And Game Time is the best way to get tickets for everything from sporting events to shows from artists like T-Swift. It's just an easy two-tap checkout and you're done. You know what else I wish I could do in two taps? Clean my house, especially with all the dogs around, all the dog hair that needs to be picked up all the time. Maybe I need a Roomba or something. I don't know. But if it was two taps and the house was clean, that would be wonderful. And that's what you get with Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. So download the Game Time app in the Google Play or the App Store. Score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan Stakes. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to a special edition of Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey and a special guest, the Athletic Nationals, Joe Rexroad. And we are here to talk about Michigan State's all-decade team. The Athletic this week is putting together its all-decade teams moments for just about every sport and team there is, and we... Handled the Michigan State stuff, and Colton has a good piece out with all the best stuff from the the decade. And we are here to talk about it more, and we figured who better to have this conversation with than Joe Rexroad, former longtime Michigan State beat writer. Joe, you were just with us last week. Thanks for coming back. Well, it's great. It's nice to you know be talking about something I know a little bit about, guys. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the PFL pod that's pod for life for anybody who doesn't know tennessee they talk about vfls vols for life the pod for life podcast with david ubbin and uh you know i i do my best but uh institutional knowledge is uh you know is is helpful and and even though my my memory is hazy on what year this may happen and this play and whatever i still have a pretty good grasp of uh you know michigan state uh, for a lot of the the 2010, so it's it's cool. I appreciate you guys including me. Yeah, and, and Colton, kind of a similar situation. You've been on the beat for two years, uh, but you were very uh, you did a lot of research, reached out to a lot of people for the All Decade team. Uh, what was it like trying to narrow this all down? Um, it was it was tough in some ways because you know you don't have what Joe mentioned, you know, the institutional knowledge of things and. You kind of have to go back and do some research and maybe watch some old games. But, 
you know, I think you hear enough about the big moments of, of Mark Antonio's career in this decade. Um, so I think I had an idea of where I wanted to go with it, but it was just kind of about sitting down and actually picking the moments and everything. Yeah, I, I think um, coach of the decade for the MSU football team would be Mark D'Antonio. Uh, with, with <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so let's get into this. Uh, the, the, the first team, or the all-decade quarterback, Connor Cook over – Connor Cook is a choice. The other option, obviously, would be Kirk Cousins. I think it's I, – I think it has to be Cook, but I understand an argument for Cousins. Joe, you covered both of them very closely – would you pick Connor Cook over Kirk Cousins for a quarterback of the decade? Yeah, because you know it, it's Michigan State, and you know for one thing, one of one of Cousins' three starting years was not you know in the decade, although you know, his best two were, and of course he led Michigan State to its first Big Ten championship in twenty years in two thousand ten. In two thousand eleven, I mean you know the two Wisconsin games against Russell Wilson, two of the best games I've ever covered. Uh, it, you can make the argument, and obviously. But I, but I think you know you have to be careful. Obviously, Kirk Cousins has had a much better NFL career than Connor Cook, but that that, that shouldn't matter. Kirk Cousins was mm-hmm. probably as good a leader as I've ever seen. I think the two best leaders I've ever covered were Kirk Cousins and Draymond Green. Very different kinds of leaders, but you know, Kirk Cousins was was a sophomore captain when he wasn't even necessarily the starter at Michigan State in 2009, when when most people still thought Keith Nickel would end up being the quarterback. That says something for him. So, and obviously Connor Cook, well-documented, wasn't a captain as a senior. I mean, that was one of those <laughs> things we talked about way too much that year. But, um, but yes, you know, Connor Cook is the, you know, his emergence is why that team won the Rose Bowl. Obviously, that, that was a national championship defense. He became a good quarterback, and then he was better than good in, in 2014 and 15. And really, the offense carried those teams as the defense really had to rebuild. Um, so I think uh, definitely Connor Cook is is the choice. Yeah, and he broke most of the school records in that 2014 season, which was probably the best offense in school history based on uh, the numbers. Um, yep. What What do you think is the toughest position to nail down? Colton, you had a lot of choices for a lot of positions. Was Was there one spot you thought was – Man, there's like a lot of guys here that that I could really pick from. Well, if we're talking about tough, I think the toughest position for me was maybe offensive line. And that's really just because uh, it's hard to look up stats and everything for offensive linemen. You kind of have to to watch those games to see who's who's getting a push and who's protecting the quarterbacks and things like that. So you watch film of all these guys, right? Like hours of film on like Donovan Clark's pulling. Call me Nick Baumgartner. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. if you haven't read it, the, 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 his off, all, off, all, <clears throat> all decade offensive line is tackles Jack Conklin, Donovan Clark, both of whom were, were drafted, Brian Allen at guard, Joel Foreman at guard, Jack Allen at center. Yeah. So I deferred to Rex Road a lot, and Chris, I asked you for your input too. Uh, just because I was not around to see those guys play, but I think for me it was definitely offensive line. Yeah, those Donovan are Clark, and those are. He, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and Donovan Clark moved around quite a bit, so I think you could have used him at, at a lot of spots too. I think uh, I think I also recommended uh, Fu Fonodi as a possible tackle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think I think Colton got it right. I think I think Fonoti was a choice. I also think. 
some guys who came on and were great late, and they had some injuries, but were really good late. Like Blake Treadwell was terrific in 2013, that Rose Bowl mm-hmm. team. He had had an injury-plagued career. Dan France was really good at the end of his career. Travis Jackson was really good at the end of his. Yes. And really, Travis Jackson actually played a lot, and you know, during his career, those those four I think deserve mention and consideration. But I, I think you got the right five here. Yeah, I think the toughest is defensive line just because there are so many options. I mean, we we end up going with, or Colton ended up going with, Shalik Calhoun, Kenny Wilkes, Raekwon Williams, Jarrell Worthy, all very worthy names. But but some other guys who had to get left out are Will Golston, Malik McDowell, Lawrence Thomas, Marcus Rush. I mean, they really have an incredible stretch of defensive linemen this decade and if you were to point to one position where MSU has really kind of defined itself I think it would be that line Joe what do you think of that defensive line I totally agree and uh that's a tough one. I mean Rush in particular I think Rush is one of the all-time underrated guys um you know in the D'Antonio era he was really really good and played a lot uh and this is where my memory's a little hazy but I want to say that he really was a four-year starter I think or so he was right around there yeah because that 2011 team he was a sophomore on that 2011 team and that group everybody on that starting defense earned at least honorable mention big 10 and he was right exactly he was and and golston you know three-year player obviously probably the biggest recruit of d'antonio's tenure or right up there yeah and you know he was a good player in 10 and in 11, he finally I mean, he dominated that bowl game against Georgia, the Outback Bowl for people who remember. And he was really, really good in 2012. So you could definitely have made made the case for him. But yeah, I have no quibbles with the choices. But you're you're right, Chris. I think that. And I, I also think secondary is is a place where you've got some different choices. You know, Trenton Robinson at safety is a guy um, that I, you know really uh, thought, you know, was an excellent player. I think the mm-hmm. biggest, and, and Colton, I talked about this, the biggest, if I made a change to this team, and I know Kari Willis was outstanding, but I think I'd put Isaiah Lewis in that spot. Now, that, that's was an, the, that was that's the toughest an interesting one. one. Yeah, so it, for people who haven't read it, the, the, the corners are Dark West and Trey Waynes. The safeties are Kari Willis and Curtis Drummond. And, and Colton and I actually talked about that a lot between Kari Willis and Isaiah Lewis. Um mm. I, I think Isaiah Lewis's his final year was not as as good as people because he was really good as a young player. But Colton, yes. uh, Colton, you were around Kari a bit. What what um what was that like? I mean, you know, I've only been on the, the beat for a couple of years now, but I think Kari Willis was the best leader over the past two years of, and especially of this you know this group right now. Um, you know, he was the guy that always came out and answered every question when the team was struggling. He was they called him Captain Kari. He was that guy. And I think, um, you know, as, as a player, he was a surefire tackler. He never missed an angle. We're starting to see some of those issues this year with some young players in the secondary. And I think losing a guy like him from a leadership perspective and just knowing that he was always going to make the tackle, make the play, I think that's kind of hurt this team a little bit this year. And for me, I, I kind of put him on there just because I wanted to get a little bit of a mix between you know, when they're actually good and, and winning big games back then versus a couple players later in this era of this decade. So uh, for me, that's why I went with Kari. And obviously yeah. I didn't see Isaiah Lewis play that much, but yeah. Yeah. 
linebacker. Well, I think was you also... can make the. Ca- oh, yeah. oh, sorry. I was no, just going to say. I think you make the. Yeah, I think you make the case that you know that that loss was probably bigger than people realize it would be this year, right? And yep. I mean, man, he has been nothing but. I mean, they love him uh, in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, you know? they do. So, so that kind of tells you maybe that loss was was pretty massive. And like you said, Colton, from the leadership perspective, maybe as big as anything. Yeah. yeah. I think linebacker was also a really tough one. You know, Colton goes with Joe Bocci, Max Bullitt, Nikos Allen. I think that makes sense. But some guys who maybe could have maybe a, 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 just a step below them, Tawan Jones, Ed Davis, Chris Fry, Riley Bola, uh, really good linebackers in this decade as well. And, and Go to Colton's story to read the whole thing, but everybody else is Le'Veon Bell and Jeremy Langford at running backs, which are obvious. Aaron Burbridge and B.J. Cunningham at wide receiver. Another spot with a lot of of options Mm -hmm. there. Tight end, Josiah Price. And then uh, punter, Mike Sadler. Kicker, Dan Conroy. uh, And returner, all-purpose, Keyshawn Martin. So what what would – let's go biggest win of the decade – Joe, what would of all the the games throughout the decade, a lot of memorable ones. Is there one that stands out as maybe the the biggest in terms of of what it meant, what they accomplished, or, or anything like that? I think the biggest win of Mark D'Antonio's career was the Big Ten championship game win over Urban Meyer, Braxton Miller, Carlos Hyde, and Ohio State. In, in for one thing, because you know anybody who wants to look at like all the success Michigan State had and say, well, Michigan was down and Penn State and all this stuff. Well, listen, he was he was going up against full throttle Urban Meyer and Ohio State and a team that could have won the national championship that year. Also, two years earlier, Michigan State got to that game, had a great chance to win that game. You know, lost that game. And Isaiah Lewis, by the way, uh, a key you know figure in that loss to Wisconsin in 2011. So two years later, to have that chance again against a team that everyone thought was going to beat Michigan State, um, and the way they won that game, 17-0, they're up, hitting them with deep shots. Ohio State dominates the middle part of the game. is up 24-17. It's like, okay, well, that's they just can't stop anymore. And then 17 more points for Michigan State to end that game. That, to me, was – and a, you know getting to the Rose Bowl. I mean, that, to me, was the game. There are a lot of other good choices, but that was – I think I don't know if I want to call it an improbable win because they believe they could win that game, and, and those were pretty evenly matched teams. I think that Michigan State team was national cha- – like that, that's a playoff team in today's configuration. And with mm-hmm. that defense, I think that – you know who knows? But still, I don't think people realize that until they did that to Ohio State. So that's the one I'd put number one with a lot of other great choices right right after it. Yeah, that that's also my choice. And I mean, remember that was before the playoff. If if Ohio State wins that game, they are playing in the national championship game. Like it was, it was right there. Um, right. The other possibilities, the the actual Rose Bowl game, the the win there, the the win against Iowa, uh, the hail mary against Russell Wilson to beat undefeated Wisconsin. But I agree, it's Ohio State. That was the one because just getting to the Rose Bowl was the goal. Like that's kind of that's kind of the deal with. Big Ten teams. It's like it's good to win the Rose Bowl, but the accomplishment is really getting to the Rose Bowl, especially in the pre-playoff days. Like you know, you win the Big Ten, you go to the Rose Bowl. That's the end goal because that's what the end goal was for decades. And so the last year before the playoff, the 100th Rose Bowl, MSU makes it for the first time in 
what? 20, 20 yeah, yeah. 26 years, right? 26 right. years. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think that was uh, the biggest win. Um, what about worst loss? I have two contenders. Illinois this year, for obvious reasons, blowing a 28 to 3 lead, a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter. But also the Northwestern game in 2016. That was MSU loses that game 54 to 40. It was the most points ever allowed to an opponent in Spartan Stadium history Yikes. to a Northwestern team that averaged 26 points per game and was number 87 in the country. That was one of those games where you realized that 2016 was going to be a problem. And yeah, Northwestern 54 points, one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Uh, Joe, what about you? Yeah, well, I think I, I certainly. I mean, I really like this year's Illinois game as. I mean, I, I think that's what I would choose. You know, um, uh, just uh, because you know, just the way that th- that it went down, and also just you know that that was a the first part of that game was sort of like a response, like okay, you know, this this team is not dead. You know, it, it can it can play some offense. You know, it, it can still handle the teams that should handle in the Big Ten. Yeah. And then to, to actually end up losing that game, I can't think of one that was quite to that extent. I'm trying to think of other really bad losses. Um, I mean, you know, in, in some of those years, like the 2012 year, there was a, there was a you know, a home loss to Iowa that was just – that oh, yeah. never should have happened. You Triple know, overtime like in a, the rain, I think, or something like that. Double overtime. Yeah, and a tipped pass for a pick and just really just, just – uh, a lot of things went wrong in that game. Not that Iowa was bad, but that wasn't a very good Iowa team, and they were at home. That, you know, that, that one kind of sh- told you what that season would be. I also think of – you mentioned 2016 the Northwestern loss. You know, earlier in that season, I believe, it was a home game against Wisconsin where they just got blown off the field. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, you know, you just didn't expect that. That was sort of the first glimpse of – this team might be pretty bad. And, you know, at that point, people thought it still might be really good. Um, those come to mind. But, yeah, I really, you know, for the, I think that Illinois game this year is is a clear one for me. Colton, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the Illinois game stands out, obviously, when you blow a 28-3 to lead <laughs> against Illinois. I think that's a, that's a rough one. That has to be a top contender. But, I mean, for me, in two years, I think another – bad loss was earlier this year against Arizona State. Um, yeah. You know, that was a 10-7 game, and they missed three field goals, and there were some really weird coaching decisions late in that game that, that I think ended up costing MSU. And, um, you know, back then that was kind of viewed as, wow, this is one of the worst losses of D'Antonio's career of this decade. And then we had the Illinois game, uh, you know, a few months later after that. But I think those are the top two, for me at least, covering the team. Um, Joe, there probably weren't too many bad losses considering – you covered the thirty-six and five stretch, but uh, those are some of the ones for me. It's it's been a tough few years for Colton, uh, <laughs> going through a lot of stuff, and now, but uh, you know he he can think about what it was like when uh, people were covering some of the better teams. What about great? <laughs> what about craziest moment or just wildest moment? We got a couple options here. We got the trouble with the snap against Michigan. We got the little giants, the fake field goal. Hail, uh, fake field goal against Notre Dame, the Hail Mary against Wisconsin. I think the obvious one is the the Michigan play, but I'm going to go with winning at Ohio State in 2015 without Connor Cook. That that remains one of the craziest 
results I've ever seen. I guess it wasn't technically a moment, but when they announced before the game that Connor Cook wasn't playing and MSU was down to Damian Terry and, and Tyler O'Connor going into Ohio Stadium with against what was Urban Meyer's most talented team, that team had yeah. that team was first round draft picks everywhere. Michael Thomas, yes. like Zeke, the Bosa, that, that was a crazy Zeke. team. Uh, they it ends up raining and it's windy. I still think this, the issue was not that they didn't give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott because he was actually bottled up. It's that they didn't pass the ball very much. But crazy game result, and that's you know they win the field goal at the, at the end of the game. I think that that might be one of the biggest just like what the heck just happened. Michigan State games. Uh, Joe, what about you? Yeah, no, I think you got four great choices, and you're right. That one probably gets overlooked, but. <clears throat> I mean, when we found out Connor Cook wasn't going to be able to play, I remember. I mean, I, I sure you can find this tweet from me. It's like, okay, so Ohio State 50, Michigan State nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but instead they've got, you know, uh, Damian Terry, Tyler O'Connor basically running like the single wing and finding a way, just playing great defense. It was it was one of those like program wins. You're tougher than the other team, and you're going to beat this loaded, unbelievable, again, national championship-worthy team on the road. That was and, – and that's – Right up there among D'Antonio's biggest wins too, the Michigan. I mean that the Michigan play to me is right up there with the Cal Stanford, um, you know, uh, kick return as one of the craziest finishes ever in college football history. So you have to include that. It's never I will say again. Yeah, I will say the shock value for me, and of course just the dread of trying to write that on deadline of the fake <laughs> of the little Giants against Notre Dame. I still think that was as shocking as. Because, you know, they came out with that, and you think about the risk there, you know, if it goes wrong. And D'Antonio at that point really needed that win. And everybody was like, oh, they shouldn't – you know, Brian Kelly's a better coach. There's so much into that game. He has a heart attack that night. But I will say also, let's not forget Rocket, 2011. And this is a day after Chris Vanini and I helped team up for a huge win <laughs> over the Michigan Daily alums. Threw some yes. touchdowns to young Mr. Vanini, streaking down the field. Great slot receiver. Uh, but also I broke a finger and separated my shoulder in that game. <laughs> so I'm in the press box when they throw this Hail Mary to beat Wisconsin, Kirk Cousins to Keith Nickel. I've got a, a U of M sling. And Be- because, finger- the game was in, because the alumni game was in Ann Arbor, and so Mark Snyder took you to the hospital, and it was a U of M hospital there, so you got the yes. U of M branded sling for this MC right this was and this was friday night saturday night this game happened so i'm trying to type this with a separated shoulder and also with like a broken finger uh so I like i'll never i'll never personally forget that but think about just the fact that the fact that you would have all these things in one coaching career maybe you know maybe it's not as crazy as i think it is but man i think it's pretty crazy all right, and, and lastly, player of the decade, I go with Connor Cook. Uh, Colton did as well. Joe, who do you go with? I can't argue with that. I will give two other options. One, I think a lot of people would um, would be with me. I think Darquez Denard was such a dominant cornerback for Michigan State. You know, that whole defense was predicated, and it wasn't just him, it was Denard and Waynes. When you have corners who can play like that, you can play that cover four that they like that they've always played as a base defense, and you can really make it tough on teams. You know, throw the fade and beat our corner, you know, and I, I just think he was just a tremendous dominant defensive player. Obviously he probably won the uh, Outback Bowl, you know, 
with with a couple of huge picks. I think one for a touchdown, but just a great, great player. I will put another one, and this is a lot of people may not be with me on this, but I think when you talk about underrated players who were just incredible playmakers, and sometimes people get lost because they didn't make it in the NFL and all that. Danico's Allen was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He was quintessential a quintessential college, quintessential college player. I mean, just an unbelievable college linebacker who just made play after play after play. You know, obviously a great blitzer, but just tough in the run game, everything. He, he I don't think he gets his due because, you know, I mean, he, did, he had a brief NFL career and people will forget him, but he should not be forgotten. I, I think he at least deserves a mention with this. He was, I think, as good a defensive player. He and Denard, probably the two best defensive players of D'Antonio's tenure, and both of them, I think, deserve consideration because this is still a program that has been built on having great defenses. Yeah, he was he was maybe the most fun defensive player to watch just all the time. So I know it's been a tough Michigan State season for you listeners, but uh, I figured all decade was a good opportunity to get some positive memories back in your in your in your head. Uh, I want to thank Joe Rexroad again for joining us and, and for his insight on everything. Make sure you check out his work uh, at Pod for Life and the Athletic Nashville. Um, and so for Joe, for Colton Pouncey, I am Chris Vanini. Uh, we will talk to you guys later. 